Debbie George Addis, welcome to America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to hit three quick stories. The Covington Catholic student sues the Washington Post for $250 million. That's what Bezos paid for the whole paper. Uh, the idea of socialism on steroids in America. Bernie Sanders is running for president, and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez calls for a right to migrate. Last story for today identity politics and the epidemic of racial hoaxes. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis and welcome to today's First Five. You know, there are always so many stories preparing for this show. I have about 100 stories I'd like to fit in. And even though I can talk pretty quickly, I can pretty much get to three stories in every show. And so I try to pick the three biggest stories of the day. I'm going to start today's show, though, the first five, talking about the lawsuit that was filed by the student who was mocked, ridiculed, derided, and scorned by the hordes on the American left, including the Washington Post, based on a completely false story of what happened in Washington after the the March for Life. There was a Lincoln Memorial incident. There was a video, a tiny little short segment of video camera, uh, video film that appeared to show that these, these students from Covington Catholic in Kentucky had mocked a Native American gentleman who was there at the protest, actually for opposite reasons. He was there to stand up for Native American rights. So the scorn and just vitriol piled on this one kid and his school by the Washington Post and literally nearly all of left-wing America went on for days. When the late, later, when the whole, a lo- longer version of the video was available, it made very clear that this kid did nothing wrong. He, in the left-wing view of the world, he did a lot wrong. He uh, is white, so that's not allowed. He's uh, earnestly Christian. He's showing up in a march in Washington for pro to stand up for pro-life from a Catholic school and wearing a MAGA hat. My goodness, the kid did everything wrong. So why I really like this that this lawsuit got filed is this. First of all, the lawyer, before the lawsuit was filed, gave notice to all of these players, including Washington Post, saying essentially, you can have, and I think it was 72 hours, whatever it was, to take back what you said. Apologize because you lied. You defamed this kid. And uh, they, they, some people did. You know, some people, you know, pulled their tweet down, put some small little story, said, well, we didn't really, you know, we kind of got the story a little bit wrong. They did something like apologize. Washington Post would not budge would not say a word, would not apologize. In fact, they had run an interview with the Native American who still hasn't taken responsibility for the fact that he was the aggressor. He was the one confronting the students, getting in their face. 
But the reason I really like that this lawsuit was filed because the Washington Post is part of the left-wing media establishment that simply lives and breathes to find reasons to attack President Trump, to mock, ridicule, and deride anyone who would dare stand up for President Trump, anyone who would dare stand up for a conservative view such as the pro-life view. And the Washington Post is arrogant. They do not think they ever have to apologize. It reminded me of something this morning. You know, when Bill Clinton was running for president in 1992, he had an incident that people call his sister soldier moment. It was when he was at a Rainbow Coalition event. So it's Jesse Jackson's thing. He's at this event and obviously courting the Democrat vote, courting the black vote. But he, Bill Clinton, said he called out a particular black rapper named Sister Soldier because she had rap music out at the time that was essentially saying, we're all hearing about black men or black people killing other black people. You know, well, I agree, Let's. You know, we, it should stop. Next week, what about the black people just kill, kill white people instead? That was what she actually said in rap music. Obviously, probably rhymed better than I just said it. But the point is, Bill Clinton had a sister soldier moment. I'm not, I'm not fond of him as a politician, but he had the moral clarity, or maybe even just the political savvy, to say, you can't talk like that. You can't, you shouldn't say things like that. He had the willingness to be honest. The Washington Post feels no such tug. They feel no obligation to correct the wrong they did. None at all. They are you know, standing up, defending, you know, saying they're going to stand by what they have, what they did. Now, I'll tell you the other interesting kind of legal part of this is that the Washington Post is normally defending lawsuits well, for their, their people claim they were liable who are public figures. So it's a very, very high standard. The First Amendment standard essentially is if the Washington Post defames a public figure, you have to show actual malice. The person filing the lawsuit has to show that the Washington Post showed, exhibited or engaged in actual malice. But this kid, this high school student from Covington Catholic in Kentucky, it, he's not a public figure. He was a nobody until that day. So all he has to show, all his lawyer has to show was that the Washington Post was negligent. The number of stories they ran, the ugly things they said, the unwillingness to investigate, to take the slightest, make the slightest effort to understand what happened that day at the Lincoln Memorial is obviously negligent. In fact, even lawyer Alan Dershowitz has weighed in to say, you know, Washington Post is not going to like how this goes. You know, Bezos, the owner, richest guy in the world, richest guy in America, he only paid, he paid $250 million to buy the Washington Post. That's the amount he's being sued for in this one case. Now, I don't really think the kid's going to get $250 million, but I think it's a great opportunity for many politicians, pundits, to call out the Washington Post. Why don't you care what the truth is? Why didn't you care what the truth is? Why don't you now, when everyone can see that you published lies, why don't you care? Because I think the Washington Post are so driven, so determined, so out of their minds determined to destroy President Trump that they simply can't even reason in a normal way anymore. They can't bring themselves to say, we made a mistake. 
We got carried away. They love so much being part of the anti-Trump left that they can, they have not at least so far, been able to bring themselves to a moment of moral clarity. I hope they, the Washington Post, can find their sister soldier moment. But in the meantime, I'm telling you, I'm loving this lawsuit. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk? And that was my first five. We come back after the break. I'm going to talk about Bernie Sanders' announcement, running for president. This is socialism on steroids in America. And also Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and a speech she made, even for her, you won't believe what she said. Stay tuned. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Hey, I was going to tell you, if you listen to the show every day, I've had a cold a little bit recently. I've actually gotten some of the sweetest emails. Um, people can always email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com, or they put comments on Facebook. Hey, your voice sounds a little better. So I, I, I hate to miss any, you know, any opportunity to do this show, to talk about this extraordinary, precious, just just extraordinary country that is America. So I'm kind of powering through a cold, feeling much better. Thank you for your sweet notes, uh, feeling much better. Okay, so I'm gonna turn and talk about Bernie Sanders made his announcement yesterday. He's running for president. I guess everyone knew he was going to do that. But it was kind of a shocking thing. He made his announcement and within, um, well, within 24 hours, I think he'd ultimately raised something like $10 million. Even in the first few, like first whatever it was, three hours or six hours, he raised three, raised three million. The point is, he raised a ton, a ton of money. But he's got a little problem in this election cycle. And I want to, it's really interesting, the dynamics on the American left. Because most of the left is consumed with racial identity politics. It's all they can talk about. Every issue, every issue that you can conceive of is talked about, analyzed, assessed through the lens of racial politics, of somehow dividing America in, into categories of race and ethnicity, and every issue is viewed through that lens. He is a member of the deeply despised by the American left, old white men. But on the other hand, he is the most outgoing, avowed, relentless socialist and essentially, he had to address that in his announcement. He had to get after the fact, hey, I'm really, really sorry that I'm a, an old white guy. I can't do anything about that. But, you know, so he actually, what he said and said was something along the lines of, you know, we're going to have a, um, a chance to make life better for all people, all backgrounds, all race, all ethnicity, blah, 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 you know, because he wants to bring radical socialism to America. So he has his announcement going, and the money, it was $3.3 million in the first 10 hours. So he's already outraised, I think, all of the other declared candidates, and even the very, very popular Kamala Harris, often viewed as a front-runner, uh, hasn't raised that. And he's certainly outraised those who are just talking and thinking about it. So the guy has followers. He also was bragging about how he had 
I think it was an average of $27 per person. So he's got this whole grassroots message going, this whole grassroots, I'm the real one. I'm the one that's gonna stand up for the little guy, stand up for America, make it more fair. He's gonna have radically high taxes on everyone. He's gonna have, you know, just a, a, everything provided for free by the government, you know, healthcare and education and, you know, free college for everybody and free healthcare for everybody and pay, paying for it all through a radical, wealth redistribution plan. This has always been Bernie Sanders. This is where he lives. His socialist head lives. This is what he's running on. But he has a hard time, of course, as the world is watching Venezuela. And, and I mean, it is the international focus of attention as socialism has brought just abject poverty to that country. So Bernie's trying to say, no, no, I don't mean socialism like Venezuela, not them. I'm talking socialism like Denmark like Sweden. But actually interesting things happen even the last presidential cycle. And I don't want to let him get away with it in this presidential cycle. So I'll mention that in both Sweden and Denmark, those countries, the leaders of those countries have taken issue with Bernie Sanders and, and said, stop calling us socialist. We are free market economy countries. These people have pounced on and criticized what it is Bernie Sanders is trying to portray about Sweden and Denmark. And in both of those countries, even though they work a little bit more toward, you know, free this, free that, they've had to backpedal out of those things. I, I don't know which country it was. One of them tried universal basic income, one of the idiotic platforms that is in the Green New Deal and other left-wing mind, um, you know, heads. And they had to say, actually, it, does, it turns out when you just give people money, for doing nothing that they don't want to work. You know, newsflash, yeah, they were shocked to learn this, but actually, universal basic income causes people to be less incentivized to work. Who knew? How could you figure out this could happen? But Bernie Sanders is going to have to run on, forget about identity politics, forget about everything the Democrat Party stands for in terms of identity politics, vote for me because I'm a radical socialist. And he is a radical socialist. He has fewer and fewer and fewer countries in the world to point to as success stories for the kinds of ideas he is pushing. Venezuela, obvious disaster. Cuba, you know, everyone said, well, Cuba's communist, not just socialist. All the communism is, is socialism with no way out. Socialism with a gun. Socialism with walls. It is why countries that are harshly socialist and become communist build walls because nobody wants to stay. You have to force them to stay. It's why the Soviet Union wouldn't let people leave when they were communist. It's why the Eastern Bloc countries had to put walls and barriers. It's why East and West Germany had a wall and East Germany had to say, we will kill you if you try to leave. How appealing is any economic system when the outcome is the government, in order to enforce it, has to say that people will kill you if you try to leave? Obviously, no one really wants that system. But Bernie Sanders is trying to find some middle ground, and, and he's having a very hard time. It can't be Cuba, can't be Venezuela, Sweden and Denmark are saying, don't talk about us. We don't want to be anything like you. He is becoming an island of a radical socialist. But I, I shouldn't really say island because he is joined in his radical left-wing socialism by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, which I want to turn to and talk about her, uh, her and what she is pushing as socialism today. There she is. Okay. 
In just a moment, I'm going to play a clip, but I want to just tell you something. This was a, an individual that no one in the United States of America had ever heard of except her immediate family and friends until she ran for Congress. And she, fair and square, won a seat in the U.S. Congress. She's a first-term Democrat congresswoman from the state of New York. She is an open, avowed Democrat socialist. She's not trying to hide it. She's not mincing her words. So her bill, we're going to talk about her bill in a moment, the Green New Deal. But I want to, before we play this clip, just say, this is someone, I mean, there are, however many there are new members of Congress uh, this term, you know, the first term congressman, whatever the number is, she's the only one I've heard of who actually went back to her district and held a big event. It was her inaugural, you know, like Trump does State of the Union, our Governor Abbott in Texas did State of the State. She did her inaugural, and I don't know if she called it State of the District, but she went back as a the, the returning queen to talk to her district about what she's doing in Washington. So I have two clips I want to play. The first one is about the Green New Deal and how she sees it. Take it away, Alexandria. The Green New Deal that we introduced two weeks ago, which was an amazing step forward. When we first were engineering it, before it was introduced, they were saying she's divisive. She's too confrontational. No one will sign on to a single piece of legislation that she introduced. And then the first day, we were able to introduce a resolution in both chambers, co-sponsored by every presidential candidate and every Democratic presidential candidate and 65 House members. Now that number has climbed to 84 co-sponsors in the House in just one week. That is what the power of the people looks like. Because the Green New Deal is not my legislation. The Green New Deal is the legislation of indigenous communities in the United States. The Green New Deal is the legislation of the residents of Flint. The Green New Deal belongs to the people of Puerto Rico. The Green New Deal belongs to the coal miners in West Virginia. It belongs to the victims of wildfires in California. And when we center our communities and allow them to lead, anything is possible. I really am, I, I actually forced myself to listen to almost all of her speech and I won't torture you with all of it. But I wanna talk about how important it is in this country for people who are earnestly concerned about preserving America to take very, very, very seriously what she is saying, what she represents, what she's trying to do, and how potentially impactful she could be. She's obviously way off the American playing field. She is not even in the ballpark of America. She's not even thinking about the ideas in the, in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. She is radical, far left, communist red, minded, but she speaks in the manner she does. She gets the crowds. She gets the people listening to her. And you would think, you would think that what she was talking about in that sweet, petulant little voice is something like apple pie and calling on people to love their neighbors or some other preposterous thing. 
I'm going to say a little bit about her voice, then I get back to what she's saying and where the money is behind the Green New Deal. I want to share some of that with you. Who actually wrote the Green New Deal? What's behind it? What it would do to you? But about her voice, if you listen to her voice, it has that very, very childlike, like, like a five-year-old's telling you, I really, really want a pony for Christmas, and I've been really good. I made my bed, like you said. I want to, it has a childish tone. Interestingly, if you recall back to the Kavanaugh hearings, the woman who testified against uh, just now Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, had that same petulant, childish, almost helpless, and I, can't, I won't imitate it, I have a cold, so it's especially hard to imitate it, but a truly childish, baby, helpless voice. I don't really even know how to tie my shoes without my mother showing me kind of voice. And she was holding herself out, that woman, Blasey Ford, in the Senate, as claiming, as, as a, she's a PhD, I think she has two masters and a PhD, or a, very, a number of advanced degrees. She's a professor. She, she had, but her entire demeanor, her appearance, the way she carried herself, the way she sat there and looked really timid and hunched her shoulders. This is contrived. It was contrived when she held herself that way. It was contrived when she used that baby voice. This one's voice is also contrived. The reason that it is done is because it is harder to criticize someone who's talking in a voice of a five-year-old than it is to criticize someone who is actually acting and speaking like an adult. Christine Blasey Ford drew in sympathy by the way she chose to carry herself, to do the hunched shoulders and look around, I'm so scared to be here, I'm, I barely know how to tie my shoes, voice, and so does this one. It is a childish voice, but it, in my view, I don't know these people actually, but many uh, speech experts have been talking about this, it is contrived. It is to sound so innocent, so, you know, mom, apple pie, childish, that you you just don't want to, you don't want to be as harsh criticizing her. Even if we did a hundredth of what this woman is proposing, this would not be America anymore. We have to start to get to an analysis of politics past Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal, you know, all the kind of labels we use. It, we are at a point in this country as we come up on the 2020 presidential elections, as we watch what happens this year, we're talking it's America or not America. What she is proposing is not America. What she would do to this country would be to destroy our prosperity, our well-being, the whole sense of freedom and opportunity and abundance America is world famous for. It would be gone. Do not mistake what I'm her childishness for a kind of a simple, um, well, you know, she's just trying to do her best. And I will say, I think she actually thinks what she's saying is right. I'm not saying that she does mean what she's pushing. She actually thinks that somehow if the government takes all the money away from rich people and takes away everything everybody has and just puts it in a big pile and, puts, and, and then can redistribute it, somehow she can make life fairer and better for everyone. She actually believes that because she has the arrogance of the left wingers, the socialists and communists in this world who've always sold their tyranny 
sold the slavery of socialism to people under the guise of being nice, of caring, of wanting to help, of wanting to just look out for people. She, this this Green New Deal, I want to talk a little bit more about the Green New Deal. We'll, we'll probably talk about it a lot, um, you know, until it's somehow killed. But it's important to understand the Green New Deal. It was originally, of course, going to be just an issue of, you know, dealing with climate change, the whole climate change uh, hoax, another hoax the left has, but it was a climate change bill. But where this came from, if you think this five-year-old voice person came up with this bill, no. Let me explain to you where it came from, how far out of bounds of the American play feeling, play field, how far out of the American dream this bill is. This bill, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Green New Deal, is was put together by three three far left organizations pushed by big-time radical leftist funders, George Soros, Steyer, Tom Steyer, I think his name is, and other radical leftists. These people sat around creating this bill, writing this bill that she, it isn't actually a bill to be precise, she put a notice up about it, she tried to explain it, it got put up, it got so much mockery and ridicule, People, she pulled it back down, but people have it anyway. But understanding where this came from, this was not you know, drawn up through years of her assessment of the impact of climate change and the various sources of energy available and um, anything else you might think she would have thought about. This was um, put together by radically funded groups, George Soros in the middle of it, of course, and goes back to groups like Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter. It is nothing less, as the New York Post put it, as then the total overhaul of our entire national infrastructure. Understanding 100% of all buildings in the U.S. to convert to clean energy. The bill also pledges affordable, safe, and adequate housing for everyone. Okay, this is what communists, this is what Lenin promised. It's what all communists promise. Somehow, if you just take away everyone's money, give it all to us, we'll give everyone safe, affordable housing and food and shelter and education and medical care. And all that ever happens is the creation, perpetuation of human misery for all the people who cannot get away from these tyrants. But here is what, she, and she also, the bill actually talks about, her language describing the bill actually said, this will virtually eliminate poverty in America and make prosperity, wealth, and economic security available to everyone. So understand where and how the bill was written. It was written over a single December weekend. December weekend. She's not even sworn in yet, but these far leftists realized they have a complete, what to even call her, that you have someone they can use who will introduce the most radical anti-American agenda in all of our legislative history in this country, and she's happy to do it. So these organizations, the Sunrise Movement, always happy names, they make it sound like, oh, you mean like sunrise and sunflowers and happiness? The Sunrise Movement, Justice Democrats, great name, and the New Consensus, it was written over a single December weekend by the staff, uh, by this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's staff and three like-minded progressive groups, none of which even existed 
two years ago. These are left-wing radicals who sat around their basements and their parents' basements in the garages thinking up radical left ideas. If only we could just have all the money in the country and take it in and that we can fix everything. That's these goofballs formed groups and then this one lets her staff meet with them to come up with this absolute destruction of the free market system, of this the national infrastructure of America, the destruction of freedom in this country bill, and then introduce it as the Green New Deal. And as she says, I've forgotten the numbers, however many, way too many Democrats get on board because they're afraid not to. So the three groups sat around, the Sunrise Movement, the Justice Democrats, and an, an upstart policy shop called the New Consensus. These people have no more policy comprehension than a second grader. They have no appreciation for the goodness and greatness of freedom in this country. It's a freedom-crushing bill. Now, if this were just this goofball here, Alexandria, and these three groups, and all of America was saying, you know, uh, I don't know where you came from, but you need to leave. Go to Venezuela. Go live there for a while. Try Cuba. You know, you can't live here anymore. Go to China. We would be okay. But I'm pointing out what she is saying here because because there are not any more brave leaders in the Democrat Party. There are no sister soldier moments coming, far as I can tell, in the Democrat Party. We have the Democrats signing on to this bill because they're afraid not to because they have no other direction to go. Nancy Pelosi's not signed on. She's already figured out this chick, and she's already thinking, gotta do something about her. But the Democrat Party is filled with people elected to Congress who have no agenda, who have no legislative proposals, and when something big comes up like this, some America-destroying legislation comes up, they cannot figure out what to do. They can't, they're not savvy enough to point out how foolish it is. They're not savvy enough to point out we actually need fossil fuels. We actually, there is not a man-made global climate change crisis about to kill us all. We do not have to stop using fossil fuels in the next 12 years. We do not want to have the federal government guaranteeing, guaranteeing fair, adequate housing to everyone and education and health care. We're not a communist country, Alexandria. We're not a socialist country. We live in liberty. As the world, as Trump pointed out in a speech in Vene about Venezuela yesterday in Florida, he's saying, look, South America had several countries that tried socialism. Everyone figures out it's ruined them. Venezuela is still struggling to get out of it, but the, the shift in the world, the, the growth in the world, the progress in the world toward freedom is palpable. And this one and Bernie Sanders would bring us back to the ideas that people have figured out over the decades don't work. But the dangerous thing about her, she's a little bit like the famous speech that Obama did at the Democrat National Convention where he galvanized people, where people are so smitten by the fact that she's a woman and she's pretty and she's a minority and she is, in their view, well-spoken and she's engaging in people like her. They want a charismatic leader. They want someone they can say, oh yeah, I like her. She looks cool. I think I'll go with her. And no one's listening to the fact she's introducing ideas that will destroy this country. 
There is, is not melodramatic. It is not hyperbolic. It is not overstating what she's talking about will destroy this country. And yet she's getting dozens and dozens of dozens of people prominent enough to get elected to Congress to sign on to her idiocy. We are in trouble, folks. If we have too many people thinking that somehow socialism and its kissing cousin communism are somehow available in America to make our country a utopia where everybody has everything and everybody's fair and no one has too much and no one's ever cheated and nothing bad ever happens, this is what she's trying to paint. It is a five-year-old's comprehension of the world. But there you go. This is what Alexandria is bringing us. Okay, so the rest of her speech, and one more thing in her speech I want to hit. Uh, her speech was, I think, 23 minutes long. There's a separate segment that she gave uh, where she's talking about the, um, what she's talking about, the, her other idea, which I, it's very short. You have to listen to this. If you think, if you don't understand yet that she's insane, you still will. Do we have that clip ready? When we stand up and say that dignity for immigrants a living wage, an economic and ecological future is not up for negotiation, and we will not take no for an answer for dignity for working people in the United States of America. That when it comes, that when it comes to our right to health care, our right to migrate, our right to live, our right to be paid a dignified wage, we will not take no for an answer. Okay, right to migrate. Let that sink in. She is talking about the idea that people have the right to live anywhere they want. Beto, one of the likely Democrat contenders running for president on the Democrat side in 2020, said in a speech, whatever it was last Friday, in an interview, he would take down all the walls, all the bar barriers across the southern border between America and Mexico. He'd take them down. She's talking about a right to migrate. And we've talked about in the show, and I, I got to get to one more topic today, so I got to wrap this portion up. But understand, this woman does choose her words carefully. She's, you know, insane. I mean, and she is out of touch with reality. She is not a serious, she's, again, insane isn't the right word. She's unserious. She should, cannot be taken seriously by any serious people. She can't be taken seriously by America. She must be rejected because what she's proposing is not America and can never be America. But put a marker there. She's talking about the right to migrate. Anyone's got a right to come to America if they want no, they don't. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. We're taking a three-second break. Do not go anywhere because coming up, I want to talk to you about identity politics and the actual epidemic of racial hoaxes happening in America. Stay tuned. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Well, you know, we talked in the show several times this week about the Jesse Smollett situation. I'm not going to go into that anymore. But just to remind you, the Jesse Smollett, now everyone knows, hoax, where he claimed he was mugged by someone, people wearing MAGA hats and saying mean things, um, making racial and, um, and sexual orientation slurs. 
That's what he claimed. Stories falling apart. His co-conspirators have already said, nah, actually, we made the whole thing up. We rehearsed it. You know, he just made it up. He's in a lot of trouble, and he should be. But it made me want to remind you a little bit about what happens, what ha- what our history is in this country, because we did actually have a very ugly phase in American history where there were lynchings. In the Democrat-dominated South, we had Jim Crow laws, we had lynchings, we had the Democrat Party's inherent racism carried out in vicious and ugly attacks against black Americans after the Civil War, after the um, Civil Rights Act, after the end of segregation. We do have some bad history in America with respect to race relations. So there is, it's pointless to deny it or to diminish it. It's also, but it's, it's, it's unjust to black Americans to deny it or to ignore it. It is equally unjust to every person in this country of all backgrounds, of all races, for leftists in this country to perpetuate racial hoaxes and attempt to get political gain out of them. This is what Jesse Smollett did. And I wanna remind you, if you aren't familiar with these, I don't even have time to read all of them, but as just one example, the College Fix, it's just a conservative organization that tries to help kids on college campuses. Just on college campuses, just since 2012, so seven years, College and just the cases they became aware of, College Fix came up with 50, 50, 50 campus hate crime hoaxes. 50 instances in which minority students claimed that there were a there was a noose left hanging. There was an ugly slur written on the door of their dorm. There was racial graffiti sprayed on the building or sprayed on a dorm or sprayed on their door. There were, there were 50 different individual instances just that came to light in this one organization in which the allegation was made that there was a racially based attack, a racial crime, a racist attack on a minority, almost all made allegedly on black Americans. And in all those instances, when the facts became known, they were hoaxes. The victims were the perpetrators. (coughs) Sorry, excuse me. The victims were the ones who set that up and then who did it to themselves, just like Jesse Smollett did, and then tried to claim that they were the victims. They try, and, and all these cases, it's always the bad guy is always the white, someone who is white. It's always an allegation of racism against blacks and per- perpetrated by white Americans. And they were all turned out to be hoaxes. And that's not, those aren't the only ones. Another, Michelle Malkin's column today or yesterday, had a listing of all the times in which there were hoaxes related to nooses, a noose put around someone's neck, as Jesse Smollett said happened to him. Jesse Smollett claimed that because it conjures up the memory for many Americans of what did happen in the Jim Crow South, what did happen in the era of lynching. And Jesse Smollett gave his two Nigerian friends the money to go buy the 
rope that was then used in the noose hoax. Michelle Malkin has a list of instances in which the claim was made that that a noose was left on a scene, a noose was hung over a tree, a noose hung over a sign, the symbol being, of course, that was a an, an effort for uh, of white racists to attack or threaten or make fearful black Americans. And the, all of the cases she describes, as it turns out, the noose was hung there by the people, by black Americans or left-wing liberal progressives trying to create the, the appearance of a racist attack. They were hoax nooses. And I want to tie this racial hoax thing to the idea of identity politics. In this country, the American left has a primary agenda, a, their go-to talking point, their main reason and way they organize anything in this country it's always and forever around identity politics. This is why Bernie Sanders have a hard time running because he's an old white guy. But the American left lives to create division, suspicion, resentment, and just a, a divided society around racial identity. They perpetuate intentionally racial suspicion. Let me just back to the hoaxes for a second all those ones that College Fix came up with, all the Michelle Malkin, if there really were so many, because part of the people, even those today defending Jesse Smollett, defending that he made up a hoax, but his defenders say, okay, so this particular thing didn't happen. But Americans of color have ex experienced these things every day. It's a horrible situation. It is a, an alarming situation. So these horrible things happen. So, okay, so he made up this one, but still the country's full of these instances. They happen all the time. Well, if they really happen all the time, which I don't want to be true, but if they do, then we have to report them every time. There is no reason to be making up hoaxes if the instance that supposedly caused people to create the hoaxes are really happening. We need to have actual reporting what really happens and profound denouncement and punishment for false racial hoaxes. And these false racial hoaxes are tied directly to the relentless effort of the American left to engage in identity politics, to make every American think your main involvement in politics is based on your skin color, ethnicity, race, where your grandparents came from, instead of what you believe. Fortunately for all of us, America is a country that's based on ideas, and everyone is free to embrace ideas of any of any political persuasion. We are not a country based on race. We're a country higher and better based on ideas. I'm past my time. My producer over there is trying to tell me it's time to wrap it up. I want to say thank you so much for listening to America Can We Talk. Tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. Talk to you next time. Can We Talk? Truth About America.